We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. It's Big Blue Banter, the answer to all your Giants matters. From run game to coaching to Bob Shepard's timbre. Hosted by Dan Schneier, analysis on fire. A Giants fan since day one, now preaching to the choir. Joined by Nick Filato, breakdowns with bravado. Passing you the facts like he passes on gelato. From just outside New York, a couple football dorks. A killer podcast when Dan says receiver corpse. They do the play-by-play, dropping almost every day. These experts know the X and O's just like Danny O'Shea. They do the review of the All-22, dissecting every throw. O.C.U. Minora lit up in Venora when he was a guest on the show. So there you have it, a podcast for Giants fans who are rabid, who can't wait for Sundays, the NFC East, the Fantasy League standings. We'll see you back here. It's Big Blue Banter. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host, Nick Bellato. Tonight we're here to talk about, wait. What? No, no, that's not an error. That's not a technical error on our end. We're talking about a win. The Giants won a football game. They're now two and five after today's victory over the Carolina Panthers. Not only did they win a football game, they won it in, I'd say, close to dominant fashion. Obviously, they didn't dominate the first half, but they dominated the second half. And now, overall, this was, I believe, the Giants' biggest win. Really, their only blow, quote unquote, blowout win. Since week four, I believe it was, of 2019, week four of 2019, it was a win over Washington. I believe a similar score, I believe it was 25 nothing, 25-3. May, might have even been 25-3 as well. So just a, probably not 25, so don't quote me on that. But just a big surprise to us Giants fans. Now, you did say, Nick, this was a very winnable game. I was a bit skeptical. I thought Phil Snow's uh, defense was going to really overwhelm the Giants. But as we'll talk about today, kudos to Jason Garrett for putting together a really good game plan. And then more importantly, kudos to Daniel Jones. I thought Jones, we talked a little bit about this in the offseason, Nick, and we've kind of brought it back up throughout time. But 
I want to see put the team on your back type moments from Jones. And I thought he did that today. Yeah, he didn't throw any balls over the top for long touchdowns, though. He would have had one if the Giants could protect against a four-man pass rush for more than a, a, a second and a half, which for some reason they can't do because they have Billy Price on this offensive line, among other disaster players there. But, you know, aside from not making those big throws, Daniel Jones made really good plays. He had, a, he had a couple really good throws, I thought, in this one, especially the the 15-yarder the along the sideline to Darius Slayton was a really big throw in this game. And obviously making that big-time catch on the trick play. That was another big play in the game. Um, and so really just didn't make any mistakes and helped generate offense when there was no offense. They don't have a good running back in, and Devontae Booker should have had Khalil Herbert. No, I'm just kidding. But they don't have a good offensive line to run block. They don't have good receivers at this point due to the injuries. And they don't have good pass protection at this point due to a lot of factors. So it was really just Jones on offense, in addition to an incredible performance from the defense. So I'm amped up. Nick, what did you make of this win? I'm amped up as well, man. And obviously this Sam Darnold-led Carolina Panthers team was a very beatable team. Let's be honest with that. The the defense of, of Phil Snow, the defensive coordinator, he did what he could early on. He stopped a couple of Giants offensive drives. But I really want to give a lot of credit to Jason Garrett for utilizing Daniel Jones' athletic ability, getting the move-the-pocket type of plays, creating those multi-level reads, those two- to three-level reads, kind of slowing down that pass rush with the play-action game plus the move-the-pocket, get blockers in space with Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones doesn't like what he sees. He can pick up a couple yards with his legs. They were mixing in screens. We saw an option play. We saw the Philly special, the Dante Pettis pass. There was just a lot of variety to what Jason Garrett was doing, and he wasn't just having you know five-step drops. You have Matt Parrott or Nate Solder get killed by Brian Burns, and then Daniel Jones just absolutely get murdered. We didn't see a lot of that, so I want to give credit where credit's due there. And again, We still saw similar Jason Garrett frustrations get down in the red zone, absolutely bogged down, end up turnover on downs, but that led to the safety. Luckily, Leonard Williams and this Giants defense stepped up in that situation to force the turnover in that specific spot. And then we also saw a bunch of field goals kicked by Graham Gano. It's something that is a little bit frustrating about this Giants offense, but all in all, the Giants team collectively came together for this win, led mostly by this defense that was all over Sam Darnold. And that was the key to victory for us here on the Big Blue Banter podcast. They had to get after these quarterbacks. Giants came away with six sacks in this game, baited Sam Darnold into that terrible interception. And when you just get around Sam Darnold's feet, Dan, he just makes bad decisions. And the Giants defense were able to do that to him. Luckily, Giants come away with this 25-3 to win. So it's, it's pretty nice to be on the other end of the uh, – the uh, win-loss column for once. Yeah, without a doubt. Sam Darnold, man. <laughs> Just another player that I was wrong on. A lot of people were wrong on Sam Darnold. I remember Daniel Jeremiah had him as his number one overall prospect, said that from the film he had evaluated at that time, he's not sure a quarterback at the collegiate level had ever seen the middle of the field as strong, as well as Sam Darnold sees the middle of the field. And we didn't see much of that today. There wasn't too much action in the middle of the field with DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson and all those slew of receivers. Wasn't really much to gain anywhere. He didn't go over the top against the Giants. He didn't really hit them too much underneath as well. So just did not see the field well against this defense. It was a breakout performance for the Giants defense. Yeah, it took seven weeks. And though there were flashes of it along the season, you know, they had those stretches where they had like three straight three and outs for us and two straight three and outs for us. We'll open a game with four or five three and outs. But this was the complete game, the one where... They got pressure on the quarterback consistently. The first time really all season they got pressure on the quarterback consistently. Not only a breakout game for the defense, in my mind, Nick, a breakout game for Aziz Ojolari. I know Aziz has a lot of sacks going into this game, but this was the first game, in my mind at least, where it wasn't just 
all it wasn't just all kind of on those plays he got the sacks on he was generating pressures and he was generating consistent pass rush and he was a real big threat for giants as an edge guy and that's what they need threats on passing downs. i mean he ended up with five tackles two and a half sacked four quarterback hits that's the key that there four quarterback hits and then three tackles for loss for the young rookie he's really in my mind this was a breakout game he's i think he's on pace i think there's some kind of giants record um, he ties the rookie record for uh seven in seven for through seven games uh for for defensive players on the giants but also he's currently the rookie sack leader and he's tied for 13th in the nfl with sack so just unbelievable performance from him uh obviously he has i think there's another stat here that i found he has a 27.6 quarterback pressure rate so he's been really active i think he's only scratching the surface too nick don't you agree I would agree, yes. Azizo Jolari is somebody we were really excited about coming into the season, and he's putting it on full display right now. We saw that good old move that he basically made famous out there in Georgia where he uses that outside arm to chop and then kind of gains an advantage, gets hip to hip, bends through the contact at the top of the arc, just kind of ends up ripping through if he has to, and he ended up – I don't even know who the tackle was. And that's another thing to kind of keep in perspective here, the – Carolina offensive line is pretty booty. Like they're, they're, they're not a good unit whatsoever. So I think we have to keep that into perspective, but at the same time, I see a lot of people trying to devalue the win a little bit. I don't want to necessarily do that because we wanted the New York giants to play well against bad competition, something that they didn't necessarily do earlier in the season. A lot of people think they probably should have beat the Falcons. They probably should have beat Washington. They found ways to lose that game. And then this game, a game that they probably should have won. They found a way to win it and they won it in a convincing fashion, especially on the defense. Dan, what did you say last week? I remember one of the podcasts we did, you said that the biggest issue with this defense is confidence, man. So what better way to gain your confidence than to beat down a team like the Panthers? Yeah, they looked confident. And what better way to give your defense a chance to set the tone and build its confidence than by going for it on fourth down there? Yeah, you want the touchdown, but part of the reason why I'm always team go for it when you're fourth and goal at the two or less and never, ever consider a field goal is because you put yourself in a position where you give your defense a chance to make a statement, to make a big series that can either lead to a quick punt that puts you right back in field goal position, especially when you have a Graham Gano. One of the reasons you should always be going for it, but also it leads to potential big plays, a sack in the end zone, a tip pass that goes intercepted, or in this case, uh, a forced intentional grounding that led to two points and really changed the whole momentum of this game in my mind, really gave the defense the confidence they needed in my mind before that. Um, obviously the, you know, the Panthers weren't as, as feeble as they was in my, as they were in my mind after that. And so I think it set the tone. I, I hope they continue to do things like that. Go for it. They obviously had some, you know, some, they settle for some field goals. Like you talked about on offense. That just seems to be the story of the year. The giants are the worst red zone offense in the NFL. They came into this game dead last in touchdown percentage, and they're going to leave it pretty similar. I know they scored on one of their possessions and we'll get to all the red zone stuff for sure, Nick, but let's talk about the good first, because that's obviously the bad. I mean, the good is this. Jason Garrett came into this game, in my mind, with a really tough task. And for the first time all season, and, and the tough task is this. You have Nate Solder as one of your starting tackles, okay? That's the toughest task for any coordinator in the NFL right now. He had a, he looked really bad, in my mind, in the beginning. We'll see what happened on the film at the end. I'm sure they just kind of schemed things to make it easier for him, I'm sure. Um, and he wasn't asked to do much. But he's at this point, man, like he is just not – he's a total liability out there in pass protection. And he also has Matt Parrott, who's not – proven yet and you know hasn't really looked all that great in his in his chance i mean we'll see the tape and see if he looked good today i think a lot of it was just scheme though i think what garrett did was similar to that washington game uh from last season 
uh, maybe both Washington games, really. He found a way to generate, like you said, offense without, you know, without having the ability to have a drop back quarterback and sit there for, for you know, five, five step, seven step drop and try to really design plays from the pocket that are downfield. Like you said, he moved the pocket well. He had some trick plays in there. He had some decent runs that worked, an option play that worked, some design runs for Daniel Jones that worked. And so through it all, obviously the Giants didn't generate an incredible amount of offense. I think they finished this game with what? Let's see what the total. I think they they finished this game with 302 yards of total offense. So obviously nothing crazy there. 21 first downs, 302 yards of total offense. But it's all they needed in this game. And 103 of those came on the ground, some via Daniel Jones. So I think you're exactly right in giving props to Garrett. He, It's rare that we say this, but he won the chess match today against Phil Snow. He really did win that chess match. And we... And we talk about, you know, do we have the coordinators to win these chess matches? We didn't last week. We got him. We got kind of fooled, but I'm mean, not fooled. But I mean, we watched McVeigh do a really good job against Patrick Graham today. I thought we watched Garrett do a really good job against Phil Snow, a, a coordinator who has found a lot of success against a lot of different coordinators this year with a lot better offensive lines. than The Giants were trotting out there today. So really impressed by that. But I don't know if there's I don't know if there's anything more impressive today than the defense and Really, just overall, what did you did you think it was just building on the confidence? Do you think there was anything different that you noticed on the broadcast angle? Anything that led to this? Because, listen, Carolina finished with 11 first downs and 173 total yards. That's crazy. That's just the no offense whatsoever. It's no offense whatsoever, and I love to see it. And it was just the defense coming up big in big spots. I mean, they forced – so many punts in this game. They forced turnover on downs down the stretch of the game. They forced the interception as well. They were getting after Sam Darnold. Like we say this a lot on the podcast. Pressure is married to coverage. Coverage is married to pressure. Defense, they kind of play as a unit. And the Giants were able to win their one-on-one matchups. They were able to get interior pressure. I mean, Dexter Lawrence had two penalties that were that were called that basically stalled Carolina's drive because he beat the interior offensive lineman of the Panthers. And then he also got in on the sack party as well. So you have Dexter Lawrence falling out. Leonard Williams had a solid game. Zizo Jolari was doing really, really well. So the pressure was working and that allowed the coverage to really kind of thrive as well. And I felt like there weren't as many just holes in the zone, or maybe they just weren't being realized. And we'll have to wait for the all 22 to come out to really kind of know because Sam Darnold definitely isn't that great of a quarterback. He's no Dak Prescott. He's no Matt Stafford. So maybe there were voids in the zone that were, that were there that we kind of ended up missing. But I'll tell you, man, from the broadcast angle, it looked like the coverage was playing as one unit and not just a bunch of individuals out there running around trying to cover assignments. And that's a huge step in the right direction. If they can carry that into Monday Night Football against the Chiefs, and you know, I'm not saying they're going to beat the Chiefs, even though the Chiefs were horrendous today, it's just a step in the right direction. This win, just in general, is the baby step that the Giants need to kind of get back on track. And now the hole might be way too deep for them to get out of. But still, these are encouraging signs collectively from this New York Giants team. And they played hard as heck. So that whole quit narrative wasn't necessarily on display at all in this game. Yeah, no, there's no quit in this game. I think, you know, they got out to a start. They got out that safety really, I felt like, changed the whole momentum of this game and really flipped this whole game. So I really want to say that. And it never happens if you kick the field goal there. So I'm just going to reiterate that because I stand by it and I stand strongly by it. But I will say this with regards to the defense, it's similar to it felt similar to last season, right? It felt similar to those games where even though there was these zones they were playing, they there wasn't like you said, no no apparent holes in the zone. And why why did that change so much? I don't know. Maybe it's just a matter of a lot of different bodies there. 
especially with the changes they've had to make at the end, uh, uh, you know, from the linebacker position. There's been so many different faces there, and you expect to see with Tay Crowder leading the defense. Maybe that played a role in it. He needs to, you know, he needed more time to become the Blake Martinez, the signal caller there. And same thing goes in the secondary. Like Xavier McKinney didn't play that many snaps last year. Now he's being counted on for a ton of snaps. Adoree Jackson was not on this team last year. Now he's being counted on for a ton of snaps. And even guys like Julian Love that they work into the game plan, like these guys weren't playing massive roles last season. And so I think it just could have taken time for them to jump. Now I'm not going to sit here and tell you, I don't think part of this is that the Carolina Panthers offense has been collapsing in recent weeks. I mean, if you look at the past two games before this, they didn't generate much offense via the air with Sam Darnold. Like you said, there's some injuries on the O line. I also think that, you know, Sam Darnold's just not a very good quarterback. Like it was another, another miss eval there. And a lot of people missed that one. Like I said, it's a, it was a tough one to miss, but like, like you even mentioned, like with Darnold, it seems like when he doesn't feel confident, in his pocket when he doesn't feel confident in his line, he really, really struggles with footwork. He struggles with pocket presence. And that leads me to the flip side of things, Nick, and that's Daniel Jones, who has no reason to feel any confidence right now in his offensive line if we're being completely honest about the situation. And yet, Jones seems to me like one of the biggest steps forward I've seen from Jones this year. It's not necessarily, you know, like processing the defense, going through all his reads. I still see him making some mistakes there with with um especially last week with just kind of staring down certain targets uh, that he believes they're going to be their pre-snap, but it's feeling the pressure and it's maneuvering in and outside of the pocket around the pressure. I think Jones is just getting so much better. I think he's taken a huge step this season and they've asked him to take, they, they forced, he's been forced to take a step because of the injury to Andrew Thomas, the injury to Nick Gates, obviously Will Hernandez average playing average ball, the injuries at left guard. You know, Billy Price, not a good center, not somebody you want starting at center. And then Nate Solder playing so many snaps as he's played. And through it all, he's found a way to really avoid sack fumbles. I know there were some last week, but this week, no big mistakes there with the sack fumble. You know, and this was a really good Panthers pass rush coming into this. It wasn't Aaron Donald and the Rams, but it was really good with Brian Burns and the players they have there. So ultimately, and Hassan Reddick too, man. Hassan yeah. Reddick sacked Daniel Jones five times last year as a Cardinal damn right he did think about that and 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 today you know jones does a really good job navigating it all so i was impressed with jones i know again he didn't have any big 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 time throws here and i know that's kind of part of the game plan but he made huge plays that catch he made if it was a bad ball from pettis if he throws a better ball it might have been an even bigger play but he had the high point that thing with one hand control it corral it in you know make sure he catches it through the contact point through through contact point not only on the ground but there was a defender closing in on him that got a little hit on him and he catches it, he secures it, and he makes a big play on that drive. Ultimately, a drive that went 75 yards, scored a touchdown, really put, in my mind, the finishing touch on the game. It wasn't the big momentum swing, but it was the finishing touch type of drive, the one where if they had settled for three, Carolina, they leave a little back door. I know it probably wouldn't have happened because the Carolina offense was so putrid today, but it would have left a little back door. So just awesome stuff from Daniel Jones. Felt like he really put the team on his back today. Yeah, man, that 11-play, 75-yard drive was huge. But to stick up for Dante Pettis for a second, Daniel Jones slowed down there. I think that Dante Pettis actually uh, put a pretty good ball out there, and Daniel Jones kept his route because you can kind of see Daniel Jones stutter a little bit and then explode back to the football. So mm. I only bring that up because after the game, Dante Pettis was asked better who has a better, uh, more accurate and stronger arm, him or Kadarius Tony. <laughs> His response was funny. The kid has a lot of personality. He said Kadarius Tony has a much stronger arm. Like he could throw the ball like 80 yards or something like that. But he feels like he is a little bit more accurate with the football. That's funny. So now the Giants have two backups that could maybe like exactly. honestly, I, I would be 
This is going to sound crazy, but can you imagine if the Giants got an injury to Glennon in-game and Jones was injured in-game and they ran some kind of like wildcat-style offense with Kadarius Toney and, and Dante Pettis, each like lateraling, throwing the ball. I don't know. It just seems funny. The Giants have a lot of players on this roster who have at least the capability of throwing the football. And again, just an excellent catch by Jones. Obviously, like you said, he could have maybe uh, ran that route a little bit better, but you can't expect Daniel Jones to run a perfect route, I don't think. I, I'm just happy enough that he made that unbelievably athletic play on the football. And I don't want to bury the lead here because Jones, when I say Jones put the team on his back, I mean it in the sense that he did all the things necessary to win this game with what he was given, what, he, you know, the circumstances around it. But the, the real MVPs of this game are the Giants defense. The Giants defense won this football game. It's 25 to three. It was five, three at halftime. The Giants defense won this football game. They didn't let off at all at any time, despite the fact that Walker came into the game, uh, you know, gave him a little, seemingly could have given them a little spark. Nope, nothing there. The Giants' defense almost outscored the Panthers' offense. <laughs> wow. That's that's impressive in its own right. It is. It's, it's it's exciting, too, because it's something we've been clamoring for. This The 2020 Patrick Graham defense seems like that was like 25 years ago. Yeah, it's it's been that like it long, right, a long dude? time ago. It's been that long of a of a season of just defensive struggles and defensive miscommunications, missed tackles, allowing explosive plays. So it was good to see them actually take advantage of a poor matchup and hopefully they can carry that confidence into the rest of the season. That's, that's, I think the, the big hope. And, and uh, you look at just everything they did in this game, the, the variety of ways they were able to win, breaking up passes, getting to the catch point, throwing Sam Darnold off the spot, turning, forcing Sam Darnold into turnover, sacking, getting pressure, getting hurries, getting hits, all those things. They were all over that Sam Darnold-led offense, I guess you could say, which again, taking into account, it's a Sam Darnold-led offense. But still, I, uh, I'm happy for Patrick Graham and, and the unit as a whole. Yeah, exactly. Regardless of who was back there on the opposing side of the ball, for to be that dominant, it shows a lot to me because the Giants weren't that dominant at any point. They weren't that dominant against a Matt Ryan offense that was struggling going into that game. They weren't that dominant against Taylor Heineke, who makes a lot of plays. Let's be honest. Like watching every Washington game, they they move the ball a lot. That right? Time. I mean, he it's makes weird. What'd you say? I said it's kind of weird. Like Taylor Heineke has like a little bit, and I think Scott Hansen referenced it on Red Zone. He has a, a little bit of the very very poor man's Brett Favre, where it's just like yeah, screw it, I'm player. Yep. Yeah, I feel like gonna... it's like a poor man's Brett Favre, but even better, like like a, a young Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, just a lot <laughs> yeah. like Ryan Fitzpatrick in a lot of ways. But he makes plays like that's the type of backup quarterback I would want on the Giants. If they could find a way to get somebody like that, somebody who at least gives you some juice, at least some potential to make plays um, with both his legs and his arm. But anyway, point is, like they weren't that dominant against any of these other quarterbacks they face, even Teddy Bridgewater, who really has tailed off as we've moved uh, forward in the season. And it, it's looking worse. That loss is looking worse and worse for the Giants. But they finally but found a way. Dan, about about the Broncos loss. And I think you can say the same thing about Carolina, too. Scheduling has a huge part to do with when and where you play teams, obviously. But if the Giants played the Broncos right now, I think the Giants could beat the Broncos right now. But the Broncos were a totally different team seven weeks ago, as were the Carolina Panthers seven weeks ago when they had a healthy Christian McCaffrey. It's just kind of when you play these teams on the schedule because of injuries and a variety of other things. Yeah, no doubt about it. And Part of it is also like I, I really do believe this Giants team, and we'll see next week. We'll find out next week. I'm not expecting them to shut down Patrick Mahomes, 
But Tennessee obviously put some kind of blueprint out there to slow him down. And right now, the Chiefs have been slowed down by a lot of teams. Maybe not necessarily so much on offense, but in general, that Steve Spagnuolo defense is not looking great right now. And it feels like the same thing happens with Spags every time, it feels like to me. Like, he comes to a place, he's great at first, and, and it seems like offensive coordinators eventually figure him out. We'll see if Jason Garrett can do that. It's obviously going to be tough without Andrew Thomas for the rest of the I mean, anytime Thomas is not in the game, you have Solder and Parrott as your tackles. That makes things really, really difficult for an offense, like incredibly difficult right now, especially when your interior consists of Will Hernandez, Billy Price, and whatever they're putting out there at left guard. And so I'm not expecting them to, to, to you know, dominate, but Spags has struggled right now. And so is that Chiefs defense. The Giants should be able to find some success this Monday night against the Chiefs, and they're not going to shut them down to three points. Like, it's just not going to happen. That was an anomaly game for the Chiefs today. Every other game, they eventually get going in the second half. But back to this defense, man, it almost feels, and we'll find out again Monday, but, like, maybe it's just communication. Maybe they just need a time to come together. But they were awesome today. In addition to what we talked about with Aziz Ojolari, Leonard Williams, six tackles, one and a half sacks, Three quarterback sacks. I'm um, sorry, quarterback hits. So seven quarterback hits combined from Ojolari and Leonard, and he caused the safety. That's two points on the board from Leonard Williams for the Giants. That doesn't happen often. Then sack from Dexter Lawrence, a sack from Joe Peppers, who I felt like was used a lot better in this game, to be quite honest. Um, and I hope that he, you know, moves forward and they find, be- you know, just use him like they used him last year. Simple as that. Like aggressively send him downhill early and often, but. Just awesome kudos to all of those defensive players. And listen, maybe part of it was, you know, because we saw some good plays from Raymond Johnson in there. Obviously, Austin Johnson playing better. We've always talked about him flashing on film all season. Maybe, you know, this defense is just better with Danny Shelton not on the field. I also want to give a hat tip to Benardrick McKinney, man. I mean, he signed off the practice squad, just signed him earlier last week. He ends up getting in the game and he had a couple of really nice hits, man. Big pop kind of hits. Now, I don't know if he had any like really game changing type of plays. And I'm looking forward to actually how he looked within the confines of this defense once we get the all 22. But there were a couple of plays where he got to the ball carrier and he stuck him hard, dude. And it's like, okay, man, that's a linebacker who can really thump similar to Reggie Ragland. But it was encouraging to see him do this so early on in his Giants career. Yeah, he's a physical, physical player, so it was definitely encouraging to see as well. Maybe he can, you know, give them – he's definitely going to give them physicality. I know they want that level of physicality that he'll be able to p- deliver them, it's similar to kind of what Reggie Ragland was supposed to give them, but I think he can even do that even better. But I am curious if you think this defense might simply be better without Danny Shelton because Shelton's playing, I believe, going into this game 32% of the snaps, and he was obviously inactive for this game with a pec injury. And – I'm not saying it's causing, you know, causation doesn't equal correlation in these in this uh, situation. But is it possible this defense is just better without him on the field? Is it possible? I mean, maybe I would say it seems like a lot of teams were really using his lack of lateral mobility against him. And there were times where he just didn't anchor down like we expect him to for someone of his size. Now, there were also plenty of times on tape where he did anchor down and the defense was able to the linebackers were able to kind of flow to the right position to possibly get a tackle. But I think it's definitely a possibility. Yeah, it's definitely possible. And we'll see what happens going forward. If this could be the game where he ultimately loses his playing time or a big chunk of his playing time, we'll find out. I want to give credit to Dante Pettis, the giants. One thing I'll say, they've done a really good job of this regime, at least 
building out depth at wide receiver. They take on these guys like Ross and like Pettis and Ross had a huge play in this game when he, when he, you know, powered down and was able to go restart his momentum on that route, that route was not going for a first down. He caught the ball and he was headed toward the sideline short and he was able to just restart his body, jump back, jump cut back inside and create a big first down. He's a, I think when healthy, he's, an asset, but just all these like former first round picks, second round picks, like Dante Pettis, a guy who was a great route runner, the slant, the big slant he's, he hit on today, Dante Pettis, that was a sick route. Like you watch his footwork on that route. He creates credible separation in his release off the line of scrimmage. He was drafted in the second round for his route running. And I think he's a talented player all the way buried down the depth chart for the giants. But I think when he's on the field, he contributes. I wasn't a big fan of what I saw from David Sills. Obviously the drop was there. I've never been a believer in him. Um, and I didn't see, I don't see much of a reason to play him over Colin Johnson, for example, or really any of these receivers, but wanted to definitely give credit to Pettis because Pettis, I thought had a really good route on that one. And just overall is a player that when he has time to practice with Jones has always looked good, even toward the end of last season. Yeah, you're right. Pettis had a nice little showing today and it was definitely something that uh, I like to see as well. Cause this kid was drafted in the second round. He got put into Kyle Shanahan's doghouse. And once you get into Kyle Shanahan doghouse, it's really, really hard to get out as we just saw with Brendan Ayuk in the rain, but hopefully he ends yeah. up getting out. He's a much more talented player than Pettis. I would say, but Pettis was a really, really good route runner at the university of Washington, him and John Rawls, former teammates. He had five catches, 39 yards, had that touchdown, that long 27 yard play that you were referencing before as well. He was called all of his targets in this game and, He's definitely for what? What is he? What would he be on our depth chart? A fully healthy Giants depth chart. He's what wide receiver six, possibly. That's a really good wide receiver six to have. Yeah, they're really built out nice depth at wide receiver. Um, and it's helped them because like if they had to go into this game with David Sills playing a lot of snaps and David Sills is like a key component of the passing game, you're not going to win games. You're not going to move the ball with David Sills type talents on the field in my mind. And I'm not trying to take shots at David Sills. Like he's a great hard worker and he had a nice camp and he was okay in the preseason against backup level talent. But you need guys like Pettis. You need like real talents at the position when you're when you're stuck in these injury situations that they're in and they're going to get guys back. Like I think Shepard is probably close to playing. Tony, who knows that one could be multiple weeks, but, and Galladay, I think is also on the comeback. I would say Galladay probably misses one more game uh, Monday night and then, cause they don't want to kind of play him and then have the short rest. I would say the same. I would say though, that Shepard might play this week, just out of guess, uh, just guessing. But yeah, like you said, they're pretty deep down the depth chart. I also want to give some props out another game ball to Graham Gano, but before we do that, let's take a quick break to your word from our sponsors. Giants football is finally back and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find New York Giants tickets anymore because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that the other sites charge which lets them guarantee the best prices on all their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's right. You guys ever want to just go and see Saquon Barkley hit a 60-yard run? You know I do. Daniel Jones, fine Sterling Shepard, Kenny Galladay, Darius Slayton deep. Well, if you guys want to see that live, please go and visit TickPick. Dot com and use the promo code BANTER. That's TickPick.com slash BANTER. If you use that today, you can save $10 on your first order of the Giants tickets that you desire. Please check that out. It's TickPick.com slash 
banter. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Yeah, Nick, so Graham Gano actually set a Giants record today. His 53-yard field goal shot gave him 10 since he joined the Giants last year. This is only his 23rd game with the Giants. He has 10 50-plus field goals in 23 games. It's incredible. But this one tied him with Joe Danello to have nine 50-yard field goals. Um, so he played, Danello played from the Giants from 76 to 82. I actually found this on Big Blue Interactive. So shout out to True Blue Larry on Big Blue Interactive. Just a cool stat. Like that guy did it in 101 games. Gano did it in 23 with the Giants. He is a asset, a weapon. Obviously, I hope he keeps it up. He had that one bad season with Carolina and that kind of soured them. But I mean, since he's joined the Giants, he's been epic. He's just an excellent kicker that drills shots from 50 plus all the time, 10 times to be exact in 23 games. So game ball to Gano as well, because I think it helped keep the Giants above actually getting points while their defense was dominating. Dude, think about the Giants offense. If they didn't have like an elite kicker, like if Aldrich Rosas, not 2018 Rosas, but like current Aldrich Rosas was their kicker with how inefficient this Giants offense is, they would be coming away with so many 14 play you know, 70 yard drives that were capped off with no points and missed field goals. Thankfully they have someone like Graham Gano. Yep. He's definitely a big asset for them. Um, other news for the giants would be John Mara actually had some comments after the game. I want to get your thoughts on Nick. John Mara said after the game that obviously we've struggled this year, but Joe judge has not lost the locker room and I've seen it. And I've seen that happen over the years. I think the players still believe in him. We've just got to get our guys healthy again. So that was Mara's comments after the win. Yeah, I saw that. To me, that just means Joe Judge is probably going to be here unless everything falls apart throughout this season, which is something I kind of expected. I think you expected it too, but correct me if I'm wrong. We kind of believe Joe Judge is going to be around for for next season unless it absolutely blows up. Because when John Mara hired Joe Judge, he said he doesn't want to do what he did to Pat Shermer. He doesn't want like a two-year in out. Like he wants a long-term picture. He wants to give someone an opportunity to build the program. Yeah, exactly. But it, and, and I think that's definitely going to be the case. But it will be interesting, though, because if a new GM does come in, which I think is 
more than expected at this point, no matter what ends up happening with this season, unless the Giants start to do things like beat the Chiefs and beat the Raiders and, you know, beat these winning teams, not the Panthers, obviously. They start to beat winning teams. That might change, but as long as they don't do that, which, you know, we'll see what happens. Hopefully they can do that. I'm not trying to say that's impossible, but if they only have wins the rest of the season against like the Eagles types and the Dolphins types of their schedule, maybe they chuck one against the Bears, they get to five or they get to six, something like that. I don't think the GM's returning. And then it just becomes a question of, will the new GM be allowed to hire a new coach? Or will he be kind of handed Joe Judge and said, listen, you can do whatever you want, but we're keeping Joe Judge. And in that sense, I think they'd probably hire someone who aligns a little with Judge, or not a little, a lot with Judge and his mindset on everything because they'd obviously have to work together. I would guess that's the case. Like you said, I doubt they're going to want to change coaches again for what would it be? Oh my God. It would be the fourth time in six years. That's crazy. Like four times in six years. That's, that's the type of stuff that John Merritt, he's already mad enough. He had to do it uh, two times or three times already. And, and, two, and just with two coaches in McAdoo and Shermer. So I don't see that happening, but you never know. The crazier things can happen. It really just depends on how the season plays out. Like if the giants play hard and win games like this. They're not, they're going to be fine sticking with judge. But if he loses the locker room, it's kind of what Mara said. Like, he hasn't lost the locker room yet, which is great. But if he does lose the locker room, you know, if these players don't want to grind through the December games and do all those laps and everything that's required of them when they're, you know, two and if, if they don't have a lot of wins, that could change things. So I'm still like, I feel like it's up in the air right now. Absolutely. And I hope this doesn't turn into a 2013 Jets situation when they hired John and Zig and they had Rex Ryan in place, and it was just really, really awkward, which also makes me think if they do end up letting Dave Gettleman go or letting him ceremoniously retire, do they just do the same thing and go with Kevin Abrams, which I don't know if I'm the biggest fan of either because I think the Giants could use a different perspective, not someone who is within the Giants family and who has been in the Giants family for how long now, you know, for for decades, you know? Oh, yeah, I'm totally with you. I think that it would be a mistake, but that's kind of what makes it so interesting, the dilemma, because I don't think that I think if, you know, it barrels out and they get to if they only get a few wins more this season and, and they have another season that was lost, you know, in week five, week six. And, you know, you got these December games where Maris sit in his box and there's no fans in the seats. I think the dilemma and the situation that makes it interesting is that he will look outside the organization. I think at this point he's going to say, OK, we tried to keep it within the organization with Gettleman. It didn't work out how we wanted. We need a fresh mind. And that's kind of what makes things so interesting because at that point, you're probably looking at someone who's going to be impressed with what Joe Judge has done as far as building a program. doesn't have to mean he's impressed with the you know bottom line win losses. He may just be able to come in and look at what Joe Judge has developed with you know relationships with the players, what's going on in the locker room, things of that nature, and say, okay, I can work with this guy because – I think ultimately that's maybe how they would kind of meet in the middle ground. It's tough though. It's going to be interesting to see because I don't really think everybody's so, you know, gung ho. They're going to take Abrams. They're going to, you know, they're going to promote Abrams. They're going to promote from within, but I think Mara will look at it and say, I hope Mara will look at it and say, we can't really afford to try this again because you know, we're five, four years later in this, in trying this exact scenario. And we're in a really bad spot from a, you know, from a roster standpoint, from a winning standpoint there, you know, they've had, we don't have to rehash it, but they've had four straight seasons where they're where they're playing meaning somewhat meaningless games in October, and that's not really acceptable. I'm not saying these games are meaningless; they can still rally back potentially into a wild card spot. It'll be interesting. Like they're going to have to win, start winning some crazy games. They're going to have to beat the Bucks. They're going to have to beat you know Bucks, Chiefs, Raiders is the next three, right? So the Giants are two and five. Nick, what yes. would you say they have to do in these next three games from a win loss standpoint to, to get make the playoffs the play, to get back into the playoff conversation for the wild card? I, I think you got to steal two of three. 
Yeah, sure. So I think you're right. I think, you know, I think if they do anything else, like end up this thing three and seven, only winning one of these three, it's probably too little too late at that point, right? Like, even though they do have Eagles, Dolphins after that, they still would have Chargers, they still would have Cowboys, and so they still have some tough games coming up. Um, Unless, of course, like someone like, and obviously we're not wishing this at all, but if Dak Prescott were to get injured or something like that, something really devastating and catastrophic were to happen at Dallas, because right now you look around the NFC East and Dallas is definitely the the odds-on favorite. They are by far the... Their defense stepped up so huge, and they're by far the best offense in the division. You look at the Washington football team, they're two and five. Giants are two and five. Philly is two and five. And then you have Dallas. So something really bad would have happened, have to happen to Dallas for for the division to be back in the conversation. Yeah, I would say so. I would say at this point, they're pretty locked in in my mind, and it's more like a wild card for the Giants. That would be their best chance here. Um, and so, yeah, I think I'm with you. They have to win two of the next three. We'll see. We'll see if they can do that. That'll be interesting to track. But it is interesting to hear John Mara's comments um, about the team. I mean, he's obviously happy with the win. And, and like I said, they didn't quit on Judge. They haven't quit on Judge yet. Until that day comes, if that day never comes, I don't think they're going to they're gonna move forward without Judge because Joe Judge is building something they like and the team's still playing hard for him. And that's all that matters, especially with how hard he, you know, he has it on these guys. He has them doing things like running laps and all the, you know, the high school coach type techniques, as long as they're still on board with that, I don't see why the giants, you know, ownership would want to move on from him. And so we'll see what happens there. There's still a lot of football left to be played as far as, you know, determining those types of things. Anything else on this specific game you wanted to get to? Just waiting for that all 22, baby. Yeah. Yeah, this will be a fun one to watch on All-22. We're finally going to have a fun All-22, so that's good. My voice is completely shot. It's been a long, 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 long uh, you know, week and a half for me doing a lot of different things. But happy to do this after a win, Nick. It's fun that we finally can talk about a win. Defense dominated. Aziz is showing signs of future. You know, Great player for this roster to build around. They're playing confident. The coverage was there today. You obviously saw on the offense side of the ball, Jones show more signs that you like to see as far as like moving forward with them. I can't say I was too excited about anything I saw from the offensive line as far as future goes. I don't know if you feel any differently about that. Maybe yeah. Matt Parrott. Maybe Matt Parrott's someone we can watch the All-22. Matt, and feel good Matt about. Parrott would be the one that I said. He, he didn't make any glaring mistakes, and every kind of chance he's gotten this season to step into significant snaps, he's always made some sort of mistake, for the most part. Yeah. And in this one, he didn't. And he had some pretty stiff competition he was going up against. So I think we're going to be excited to watch him on the, on the film tomorrow. For sure. All right. Everybody else tuning in, thank you so much. Have a great rest of your week, and we will talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.